I'm Daniel Bass, manager of the South Asia program at Cornell University. And I'm Shravin Senevaratna, graduate student in architecture at Cornell and student worker at South Asia program. You're listening to the Next Monsoon podcast, where we examine how art and culture can help us navigate the uncertain future. This podcast is part of a bigger project in the South Asia program at Cornell University. We'll be interviewing scholars from around the world to help us understand how people and artists face climate change. We'll begin with examining how people through South Asia, from the mountains of Nepal to the beaches of the Maldives, from the deserts of Pakistan to the deltas of Bangladesh, from the Tia states of Sri Lanka to the mega cities of India, are understanding, examining, analyzing, presenting, and living with climate change. Our focus is not the science of climate change, but how individuals and communities are responding to a changing climate through visual arts, cinema, literature, architecture, and other cultural expressions in South Asia. In this episode, we look at how art can help us project a new understanding of climate change and the current crisis. Iftikhar Dadi is both an artist and art historian. He is the John H. Burris Professor of History of Art and Director of the South Asia Program at Cornell University. Earlier this year, he created a show called Pop South Asia at the Sharjah Art Foundation. He recently published a book on Urdu cinema called Lahore Cinema Between Realism and Fable. So, welcome, Iftikhar. Thank you. It's great to be here. What do you first think of when you hear the word monsoon? Ah, well, I grew up in Karachi. So Karachi was a city that uh, would sometimes get a lot of rain in the monsoon, and sometimes the monsoons would just pass us by. We would see the clouds going overhead, and we would receive no rain. So the monsoon is, of course, a very significant. It's both culturally significant. It had, there's lots of uh, songs and paintings you know, like Ragmala paintings or songs that celebrate the monsoon. and uh, But it's also significant also for the economy and society and uh, landscape of South Asia. So then what inspired you to start this project about cultural responses to climate change in South Asia? One of the things that struck me when I was looking at that is that although I know of, let's say, art- artistic practitioners who are beginning to work on, on this topic, or uh, engaging with you know issues of climate and ecology, and there are also others like anthropologists and architects, you know. But uh, we don't have a robust, sustained conversation between the various individuals and practitioners, and also the kind of disciplinary cross conversations, you know, that are taking place. So, one of the scholarly as well as kind of you know general. Uh, concerns of mine in the last few years has been to think about ecology more holistically. I mean, that leads also well into our next question that you were mentioning how different disciplines, there's like a cross-examination between them, and in a way they produce more of a humanistic view. So it's like more of thinking about cultural responses to climate change and what can they offer differently from scientific analysis. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, the science, the science is very fundamental to or uh, or increasingly sort of, uh, you know, incisive and more nuanced understanding of what's happening. How how people kind of, in a sense, uh, are, um, are able to or are uh, responding to the transformations that they see or they experience is, uh, is something that the humanities is actually very good at, uh, you know. <laughs> At, uh, at at understanding. So I think science and policy is absolutely, you know, uh, a very important aspect of what needs to happen and is happening. Um, uh, but equally important, 
you know, I would say is the role of uh, understanding these transformations from a humanities point of view. And by humanities, I mean a broad, uh, you know, a, a broad, um, you know, discipline that's emerging, which is called environmental humanities, okay, which looks at the relationship between the environment, ecology, and really the humanities at large. So it includes uh, qualitative social science, you know, history, as well as, you know, the more cultural uh, forms like, you know, architecture and art and music. One interesting thing, you are relatively unique among Cornell faculty for many reasons, but one is you're both a practicing artist and a scholar of art. And so I was wondering, how does your artistic practice kind of inform how you see climate change and how do you express climate change through your own artistic works? Thank you. As an artist, I collaborate with my partner, Elizabeth Dadi, and we have a practice that we, you know, been collaborating on for a couple of decades. So one of the things that I've kind of have gotten to know through my my work as an artist is that uh, art making is really better seen as a process, you know, um, which is that uh, when people who are not artists, some, they will encounter art when they visit a museum or a gallery and they see finished works of art, okay? But of course, the finished work of art is, a, is you know, the end result of a, pro, you know, a process of trial and error and experimentation and, <laughs> and uh, trying out new possibilities. My understanding of what's happening today is also shaped by the way I work as an artist, which has to do with being engaged in in process and also being engaged in thinking about uh, about the fashioning of uh, of art or the fashioning of society or community, uh, you know, which is a, a kind of a processual and which should not be thought of in binary terms, you know, that, 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 that there are kind of, in a sense, multiple processes at work. Some of them will what we might call fail, some of them might succeed and flourish in the future, but all of all of them, I think, are important to understand. So when we think about climate change and ecology, we should also think not just about, uh, let's say, cookie-cutter and solutions, you know, but also think about how both policymakers, scientists, as well as the communities themselves are involved in this kind of a, in terms of this open-ended, you know, response, which is processual, okay? Mm -hmm. What I've seen from a lot of what I read about, you know, ecology and climate change today is that people are looking for easy solutions. I would caution against that. Okay. Yeah. And also the role of uh, individuals, communities uh, uh, should be seen also in as uh, being creative and being uh, and having agency, you know, rather than simply being victims, okay, mm -hmm. of, uh, of circumstances whose solutions are only imposed from, from above. Have you been exposed to or seen artworks in literature or film that talks about resiliency in the face of climate change? Yeah, there's a number of uh, examples that can be given. But I think climate change also has to be seen in a deeper uh, historical register. So, for example, one of our uh, participants in our seminar is Sugata Ray, who is an art historian who teaches at Berkeley. And uh, he recently published a book which looks at really the, you know, how El Nino historically affected devotionalism in North India and, uh, and uh, how the, the reverence for uh, natural forms developed, you know, in, uh, in relation to that. You know, the popular songs and folk songs and popular songs in South Asia, they really celebrate the Savan and the Malhar, which is the rainy season, for example. There's the Ragmala painting, 
which is a which is a kind of a miniature painting that thinks about uh, the seasons and uh, and their affective and you know emotional uh, valences okay <laughs> so these are examples of how you know basically south asian societies and there are many more examples of course right but transformation has also take it taken place over time so um uh you have in the in the 19th century for example during the british colonial era uh the british built the largest canal system in the world mm -hmm. uh in the punjab which basically converted a lot of pastoral land in between rivers into perennial agricultural land mm -hmm. right so this is this was a massive project of not just environmental engineering but also social engineering because there were new villages that were created model villages new you know where people were uh, encouraged to settle so there were also new social relations and cultural forms that emerged you know from that uh so I, so one goals one of the goals of this project is also to as i mentioned not to be very presentist but also think about these you know longer these longer relationships that you know south asian individuals and society have had with ecology and climate. Yeah, it's a good reminder that some things like focus on say migration to cities today, but there's been migration going on in urbanization and movement of peoples in South Asia for decades and centuries. Yeah, since, you know, but having said that, one of the things uh, that characterizes South Asia is the very large domain of informality, right? So, in other words, uh in South Asia something like 80 or 90% of, you know, employment okay and housing and so on is informal right mm -hmm. so in in one sense the informal is beyond the purview of 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 planning right in the way that people already what i'm saying is people already live and work in ways that in which they adjust to their circumstances right but i think it's important for uh for those of us who study south asia to also take into account in other words if you look at a city and only look at the planned city you're going to miss out on so much of what's right. happening on the ground or if you look at you know you know if you're studying labor okay and if you don't think about informal labor or if you don't think of informal housing all sorts of networks that you know that exist that we barely kind of understand can see i want to just flag the the, the idea that uh, people make lives right people make lives uh, for themselves and their communities in difficult circumstances and i think it's uh, it's kind of a uh, both as a scholar and you know in terms of ethics it's important to to you know to foreground that i was wondering how that impacts like the art that they produce and you know the refined high art world that you circulate in but then what about the art that's coming out of what about the informal art yeah it's that's very much there as well right in the sense that um there are um I mean in the sense where do you draw the line right in the sense that if you have let's say a uh, informal settlement that's made with waste materials right with the discarded uh, industrial waste like you know tin cans and plastic it's a dangerous thing to say because one uh, you know the accusation against some uh, against this line of thinking is always to say you are celebrating what is you know what ought not to be celebrated but i so i don't mean it that way but what i mean is that people nevertheless make lives right uh, mm -hmm. based based on what they find uh, around them and the new circumstances that they uh, they face right and um 
and it's important for us to also keep that into into our focus yeah okay so you've done scholarship on both visual art and more recently cinema and I was wondering how like different art forms differently represent climate change and express like what is happening in South Asia at the moment yeah I mean if I were to you know again hazard a generalization okay in terms <laughs> of the different art forms I think that you're right that each art form or each let's say uh, you know they are at different places okay so for example uh, I think uh, some of the architects are actually been thinking about this more you know in terms of um, poetry and literature and writing there is some work in uh, in actually visual arts there is, it's just beginning okay mm -hmm. so if you were to ask me that how many artists um, i mean uh, of course many artists uh, think about the landscape you know i mean yeah. if you think about watercolor painting and the landscape then that has a long history yeah <laughs> okay but uh, even in, in in miniature painting in south asia right the landscape is a very prominent feature mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, so of course all of these have a long history but if you were to ask me how many artists today centrally take climate change and ecology as their concern there are actually not that many right mm -hmm. uh, but in fact it's growing right so one of the one of the objectives of this project also is to is to bring diverse perspectives together so it also becomes a resource for you know practitioners okay in different fields mm -hmm. and how they think about not just their own discipline but also how they you know how, how they can get a sense of what you know other disciplines are mm. are doing and uh, so it it kind of you know it uh, amplifies the cross disciplinary conversation uh, that i think is needed for something like uh, uh, what is called a wicked problem of mm. you know <laughs> yeah. of climate change which is intertwined in so many ways that you can't just you can't just separate let's say architecture from you know uh, you know from from people's let's say issues of labor right okay, yeah. or uh, or issues of how the economy gets reconfigured right so um, so all of these are in a sense related problems and i think what the one of the one of the ways that climate change uh, encourages us to do is to think again in a in not just in siloed ways right in terms of very disciplinary specific uh, ways but also to think about them in relation to the because it's a problem that affects it cuts across borders okay it, it cuts across all sorts of landscapes i mean so you in the introduction you mentioned that south asia actually has this very varied landscape right it has i mean it has everything it has like you know you know the the highest mountain ranges with snow and you know mountainous areas it has a it has a very fertile you know uh you know plains it has deserts it has plateaus okay mm -hmm. uh, so it has a uh, it has coastline it has you know it it has it has riverine landscape so it's uh, it's a, in a sense a microcosm mm -hmm. right of uh, of uh, so many diverse uh, uh, kind of uh, you know peoples and landscapes but all of them are affected in all sorts of ways through you know this climate you know issues of climate change so i think what climate the lens of climate change helps us to do is also to in some sense uh think of uh south asia not just in um in 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 ways that are siloed by either area specificity or disciplinary specificity I want to 
asked about the characteristics of South Asian art and how do you think they form a very distinctive definition towards climate change? There are ways to reread, for example, even historical art, right? Which, is, I, as I mentioned, so this is what Sugato Ray did in his book on climate change and the art of devotion, where he looks at the rise of devotionalism in North India and, and you know, thinks about that in relation to climate transformations taking place at that time, which is a new way to think about even historical kind of art, right? Um, and uh, the same goes for, for example, we can look at, the, you know, when we think about, let's say, colonialism, British colonialism and the vast kind of, you know, power knowledge apparatus that they constructed through kind of, you know, mapping and photography and surveys and gazetteers and all these things, right? We can revisit these records in new ways uh, uh, and uh, foreground other, you know, there are other ways to read, read historical archives also to foreground, you know, the questions that we are interested in, which historians like Sunilam did too, for example, right? Uh, um, and uh, then coming into the present, of course, you know, artists deal with, uh, you know, artists are, today we are in the era of what is called contemporary art, you know, which is in some sense called post-medium. People are not just adhering to one medium like oil painting, but they are working across, you know, so they work in the moving image, they work in photography, they work in installations, right? And, um, Many of them are dealing with, uh, you know, either directly or indirectly. So even if they are dealing with, let's say, the uh, the urban environment, right, and uh, the built form, that that has a certain way of you can you can read those you can read those works today in relation to uh, you know climate or ecology in an expanded way, in which the ecology might also include the the urban the dense urban environment of you know the the peoples that inhabit you know that you know it could be concrete buildings right mm -hmm. in other words so ecology shouldn't be just thought of as you know the pristine untouched landscape but it's also the built environment and the human impact on the built environment so if you think of artists that way then you can actually look at uh, you know a lot of art in the from the pre-modern era into the modern era into the present and re and ask questions about about that work right so I'll give you an example from my own work, mine and Elizabeth's, it is that we have a series of flowers that we've made, which are made in neon and bulbs, and they are industrially produced, and they are quite large. They are four feet across. Um, and uh, so when we were making this work, we were not necessarily thinking of, you know, we, they, uh, the flowers are national flowers. So they are flowers that nation states, you know, claim as their emblem, okay? <laughs> So we started off thinking about this in relation to, uh, to uh, you know, to kind of questions of borders and, you know, identity and so on. But of course, you know, now that, you know, as I look back at this work, I'm also thinking that this work has a certain bearing in which when nation states claim a, a flower, they also claim a kind of a, a relationship to the natural world, you know. Yeah. So, so there's a kind of, the, so that identity also is not just, it's also about a certain kind of a, uh, about about botany and ecology and right so uh, and the drawing of kind of in a sense uh, what we might think of as arbitrary borders across a kind of a, basically a, a natural world that's continuous okay <laughs> uh, so I so even in my own work you know you know my me and Elizabeth you know we can look back at our own work yeah. and ask new questions from it and that would be true of so many artists. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does the choice of an industrial material or medium like neon affect how you think about that artwork and climate change or how it's presented? Because it would be very different if you had paintings or lithographs or sculptures of these yeah. flowers. Yeah, and of course it goes back to, you know, there's a long history. With colonialism came, you know, also a big interest in botanical illustration and imagery. Mm-hmm. But even the Mughals were in, interested in, you know, mm-hmm. the Mughal, a lot of Mughal paintings, beautiful paintings are about the flora and fauna and, you know, the animal, mm-hmm. the animals of, you know, that they that they found uh, around them. So, um, uh, but then, of course, you know, there are many artists who continue to kind of engage with this, right? So there are artists like Andy Warhol mm-hmm. in the U.S. Yeah. Who, who made a series of wallpaper which, um, which uh, you know, depicts... Uh, and silk screens that depict uh, like flowers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in a way, you know, I mean, even though, of course, he's he's seen as a pop artist working in a very mm-hmm. urban environment. One of the things that I think cultural forms attune us to and make us uh, aware is that there is no unmediated relationship to nature, right? That it's mediated. Mm-hmm. So the form of mediation becomes important, right? And the form of mediation that's available to you is. In other words, you know, this is the, you know, you you may as a as you know you may experience the world through mm-hmm. through through the senses and through you know the imagination and through various other you know ways. But then, how do you? But to to make it available for to share with others, yeah. right? It has to be made available in a form. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the form, you know, kind of in a sense, uh, the the form in which the you know, let's say a natural landscape is presented, mm-hmm. okay, shapes also shapes its meaning, mm-hmm. right? So I think one of the ways that cultural responses do is that they make us aware that there is no unmediated relationship to, to nature. So even if we have folk songs or if we mm-hmm. have, uh, you know, a painting or if we have other artistic forms are all, or architectural mm-hmm. habitations that have been made, these are all in a sense, uh, you know, kind of uh, important responses to, to, uh, to, to, to the environment around them. Yeah. And I would say that's true also of the urban environment, right? So, and mm-hmm. urban and industrial forms. So, uh, so again, what I'm not trying to distinguish between, you know, supposedly pure, you know, natural forms and industrial forms. I don't see that distinction necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because it's all part of a continuum in which human beings have related to their environment and made a life for mm-hmm. themselves and that includes industrialization mm-hmm. and what we might consider to be artificial you know materials okay yeah. and i guess neon is a naturally occurring <laughs> gas i can't remember where it is on the periodic table oh. but it's one of those a uh, noble gas it's a noble right? gas so yeah. you have some noble artwork <laughs> so one uh question is have you seen or are there some examples of south asian scholars are artists who present a different view of climate change than what is kind of typical in the U.S. and, you know, that we could possibly learn from. Yeah, I think that's part of what this project will hopefully... I think no, I think the question, answer is it's too soon to say. Uh, and uh, because the, this work is just beginning, as I mentioned, in yeah. South Asia, but, uh, you know, I'm interested in both maneuvers. The new work that's you know people are, are doing, but also the rereading of mm-hmm. older work, right, through new perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think both of them are very exciting. Um, and uh, I think they, of course, promise us to, you know, the, the conditions that characterize, you know, South Asia, as I mentioned, like in the 
pre-modern artistic forms, you already have a very important relationship to nature, right? With uh, uh, in uh, in Buddhism, in Hinduism, in Islam, in uh, in in bhakti traditions, you know, in, mm-hmm. uh, in 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 folklore, okay, in songs, in paintings, okay, in in um, in the depiction of you know basically mythology, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I think that's a very rich world, and we can revisit that world again with these new perspectives. But equally, the artists today who are working are also working, as I mentioned, with you know, with me- in mega cities, in you know, question addressing questions of informality. You know, so these are these are important uh, aspects of life in South Asia, and hopefully, they also have lessons or you know, parallels that of you know, to experiences that other people are having in other parts of the world. Yeah. So I don't want to necessarily exceptionalize South Asia, but I think the one one should and. Um, be aware of the distinctiveness of you know of the region and also the micro like all the other distinctiveness of the you know yeah. small you know mm-hmm. the sub regions and um, places but then also think about this in comparative registers mm-hmm. uh, you know with what's happening in Africa or in Latin America or in other parts of the world yeah so who do you think then the art itself um like in today's world when you're talking about climate change who is the audience for art yeah, I think that's very difficult to say. You know, the question of audience is a very slippery one. And I think it just depends. For example, uh, like feature films or popular films are made for a broad audience, right? Uh, and uh, uh, th- But then you also have documentaries, right? Um, you also have... Um, then, you know, in, in architecture, if you make a building that's like a public building, then it will have more of an impact than a private residence or something like that, right? But mm-hmm. even the, the, the private residence may actually be quite innovative in the way it's made and may have lessons. The same goes for artwork, right? That there's some artwork that may be more popular, right? Mm-hmm. And other artworks that may be more, uh, that may seemingly be more hermetic, but may actually have important lessons, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. so I think the it's not always a good idea to only think, seek uh, the legitimacy of art in relation to how popular it is, okay? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, in uh, or even how legible it is at first glance because, you know, it might it might be trying out new things that are not necessarily easy for everyone to apprehend it, you know, and it, mm-hmm. may, it, it may lead to failure, it may lead to success, or it may open new doors in the future, right? Yeah. And like, failure is always part of, you know, without failure, there is no success. Right. <laughs> so, OK. <laughs> so I think, you know, if we we are critical of works that, uh, uh, you know, that we think don't engage well with, you know, whatever our priorities are, that's uh, in other words, the idea of making art is, is a gambit into doing something new. Right. If you weren't doing something new, it wouldn't be art. It would just be a design or something. Right. Mm. Um, it would just be mm-hmm. something that you've already done. So when you venture into something new, which is the promise of every artwork, uh, then uh, there is no guarantee of you know what its efficacy or if its you know mm-hmm. importance will be in the future. Yeah. But without that gambit, you're not going to get anything new. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so do you see this next monsoon project as your gambit? Of course, something new. I mean, scholarship. <laughs> you know, like huh? scholarly work is also a kind of a gambit. You want to do something new. Right, mm-hmm. right, and you hopefully you you know you believe in it and you think it's important, which I of course I do in this case, 
but you know, I must say that it's not just me. It's yeah. not just my hobby horse. <laughs> but uh, in fact, this is a collaborative project. So I want to mention my collaborators, which is that there are four of us who are leading the project, which is myself, Sarah Besky, also my colleague at Cornell. She's an anthropologist who works on issues of labor. And then there is Sonal Kullar from the University of Pennsylvania, who's an art historian, who's working more recently on artistic collectives in rural areas in India. And, uh, and the last uh, collaborator or the fourth collaborator is Rupali Gupte, who is uh, involved in a architecture college, uh, which is called the School of Environment and Architecture in Mumbai. And uh, there, the you know, the mandate of that institution is to engage very centrally with both the built environment, but with uh, with also with the environment. Uh, so these are our collaborators, and then we have uh, more than twenty, uh, you know, participants. All of them are, you know, emerging or distinguished, you know, voices in their field. So I think it's a uh, it's something that every you know all the participants who are on board are enthusiastic about. Mm -hmm. So. You know, so I, what I'm hoping is that uh, this sense of, uh, you know, shared uh, kind of, you know, interest and collaboration will be, you know, sustained, you know, through throughout this project and hopefully beyond. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are, we have been, um, we have been doing reading groups online. We have done two of them and uh, very kind of engaged and passionate discussions that mm -hmm. took place. And uh then we are we are having sessions like this, which are uh, more public focused. Mm -hmm. uh, we will have a conference in October, uh, which will be open to the public, uh, and we also are hoping to uh, do a publication, which is open access. Uh, so, uh, so our objective is, of course, to make this uh, project and its uh, importance and all the various perspectives that it will, you know. Uh, it will amplify to uh, you know as as widely available as possible both in the scholarly and the general scholarly communities you know not just in mm -hmm. the united states but also in south asia right um, and um, and also in um, to you know the public at large okay one of the things i'll say is that we can do this project uh, this is a project that actually can't be done in south asia itself right mm -hmm. because uh, there are so many issues with visas and you know you know hostile relationships between countries that actually scholars and artists find it very difficult to to travel right mm -hmm. so it's very difficult for example for an indian to come to pakistan and vice versa yeah. right yeah. Uh, so in one of the ways that we can think about but as i mentioned climate change doesn't recognize borders right yeah. i mean the air quality in delhi is very the, the really <laughs> terrible air quality in delhi is very similar to lahore yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, you know and the problems are the same you yeah. know the problems that cause it are the same so so one of the ways that we also hope to contribute is to to bring cross national perspectives into mm -hmm. into you know in ways that would not be possible if this project were to originate within south asia so so we yeah. also hope to add you know this is another let's say uh, perspective or value that we hope to add, you know, mm -hmm. to the ongoing developing conversation on on envi the environmental humanities and and uh, in South Asia. Yeah, and some of the people that you mentioned will be future guests on this podcast mm -hmm. as yes. well. With all of that conversation that we had um, and all those thoughts in mind, what is one sign of hope that you think um, about climate change in South Asia? 
Um, well, the signs of hope are many, actually. So, of course, the problems are very devastating, right? As I mentioned, uh, I mentioned the floods recently in Pakistan, which were like, you know, which were really terrible and people, it is, you know, they are not, a lot of the crops were destroyed. Uh, and, uh, of course, the poor, you know, the people without means and the poor feel it the most because they have the least cushion mm -hmm. and the ability to even withstand the shocks that, you know, that their, their lives encounter when they're faced with something like this. Uh, so this is, uh, uh, so. Of, but of course there's increasing awareness because the, uh, because even though, you know, I mean, Pakistan these days is not, uh, you know, there are issues with, uh, with political stability, mm -hmm. uh, but I think everyone, even, you know, people broadly realize the, uh, that this is a very becoming an urgent issue. Right, so so that, that that's a sign of hope, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the other signs of hope are that uh, more and more, uh, let's say, scholars, but also activists are are taking this on, right? So, for example, one of the cities that I'm working on is Karachi, where there is a number of activists who are working on. Um, so, uh, so I'll give you an example. When a recent, when Karachi was flooded recently, it turned out that uh, many of the drainage mm -hmm. um, channels were had been um, encroached upon by informal settlements, mm -hmm. okay, and had narrowed, okay. So the government's answer was to bulldoze the those settlements, right? But a lot of activists then pointed out that uh, uh, that you know you can't just, I mean, these people, you know, you can't just bulldoze these people because then you you know, in the sense that, uh, so so the problem of housing, the problem of you know informal settlements, the problem of planning intersects directly with, you know, the the, the question of climate change, right? So, uh, and uh, you know, what's encouraging is that activists, you know, are are increasingly you know being very vocal and uh, you know about about this issue, and actually you know, and there are many more, let's say, avenues we have available, so they. They make websites, you know. They, uh, you know, they, uh, they they make documentaries, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so there's a lot in which. Uh, uh, so I think you know, in the sense that publics are being increasingly engaged, you know, and uh, and that's what I meant that you know people also have. Uh, it's not just the state or the World Bank or IMF that, you know, dictates policy. They do, and they do it at a large scale, which. Uh, which really affects people's lives, but then people also have a way to kind of, in a sense, voice their, you know, concerns about how this is transforming their, their lives. That's it for today's episode on the next month soon. Next time, we'll be talking to Sarah Besky, with whom we'll have an in-depth conversation on tea and agriculture in West Bengal, India. We would like to give special thanks to Sam Lubowitz and Angelica Kramer at Cornell's Language Resource Center for their assistance with recording this podcast. Shivin Senvaratna not only co-hosts this podcast, but is also our editor. Funding for the podcast and the entire Next Monsoon project comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please follow the South Asia program on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SAPCornell. You've been listening to music by SAP Administrator Gloria Lemus-Chavez and her partner Brandon Kane. Make sure to check out more of their work in the show notes. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Cornell's Office of the Vice Provost for International Affairs, or any other official entity of Cornell University. I'm Daniel Bass. And I'm Shavin Sinagratna. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode for new conversations and stories on the next monsoon.